Welcome everyone to a special interview edition of Monday Match Analysis. Today's episode is a conversation with Steve Weissman, prolific commentator and host at Tennis Channel. Just signed a five-year extension with the network. Congrats to Steve on that. Great guy. Tons of tennis knowledge. I don't want to get into like a very detailed topic-by-topic tease slash preview, but basically we talk all things French Open storylines, men's and women's side for this one. And then at the end, we both take an interest in food. So we talk some food at the end. Make sure to stick around for that. Without further ado, here's Steve Weissman. We're joined for the first time by Tennis Channel host and commentator Steve Weissman. Long time coming. Welcome and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yes, long time coming. We've, we've discussed this. We finally got a date that, that worked out. It's perfect because we're leading up to a, to a major, to Roland Garros, and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to join you. So thanks for having me. Yeah, we're very busy men. And, um, but I will say <laughs> you have been on the Rival podcast with Gruskin and, and Crack Racket. So you thought you'd spread Is that Rival? I didn't know. You, I, I, I thought we were all that. friends here. Well, it's a friendly rivalry. What's the difference, really, is what I what I would say to that. <laughs> um, when are you leaving for uh, for Paris? On Thursday. So um, today is Sunday. Uh, I know this is Monday match analysis, but uh, keep, keeping it real. Um, so yes, I leave on Thursday. I was supposed to leave last Thursday. Obviously, Roland Garros got pushed back a week, so um, it enabled me to actually have a few days off Gil, which is uh, an extreme rarity in my life. So uh, I've got NFL Network, as you can see my, my background tomorrow, um, and then get ready to go on, on Thursday to Paris. Yes. Uh, a Northwestern helmet is that? It is. Yep. <clears throat> go Cats. Um, you know, Purple Pride. I, in fact, two Northwestern helmets. Yeah, look at that. All right. <laughs> and, I, and I've got a couple other ones. I, I switch them in and out. They've been Pat Fitzgerald, the whole uh, Northwestern staff has been great sending me uh, stuff to, to put in yes. my virtual background during these, these crazy times. Yes. Almost as, as beautiful as a, a Syracuse orange helmet. Um, almost there. So, I mean, or, orange is a fruit. Purple is the color of royalty. So there's that, but you know, whatever. Sure. Sure. All right. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do want to get into the, the logistics and, and what RG is going to look like this year. And it was so unconventional last year. Um, and, and you were there experiencing that firsthand, but first let's get into the field and, and some of the players. And we will start with the King of, of clay going for French open number 14. And uh, it was like the rockiest road to two titles over the course of the European clay court season. You could ever imagine for Rafael Nadal. But he comes out having won Rome, having won Barcelona. Um, where is your Nadal? And, and this is a big one. I, I shouldn't. I should mention that this would be number twenty-one, and we all remember. We all remember Wimbledon two thousand nine when Federer passed Sampras and all that. Like this could be a very historic one for Rafa Nadal. Where's your level of of confidence that he is going to roll through and and do what he's been doing over the last decade plus? Roll through, I'm not sure. Uh, win, very, very confident. Um, I mean, when you have a record of 102, it starts and ends with you. And I believe, once again, he comes in as the heavy, heavy favorite to win his 14th, which is just insane to say, 
Roland Garros title. And you mentioned a great point, Gil, 21, because this is extremely historic in the fact that he can pass Roger Federer for the most Grand Slam singles titles on the men's side of all time. So th this would be huge. And obviously to do it on Philippe Chatrier in Paris, you know, where he reigns supreme, uh, I think would mean a lot to him. But he should come in with a ton of confidence. Uh, you know, that win over Djokovic was massive. That was, that was a great uh, great match, one of the best matches of the entire season. Um, and to get, you know, two more titles. So now he has literally at least 10 titles at four events is another insane number. I mean, over those four tournaments, he has 46 titles, which if you take all of Andy Murray's titles combined, and Andy Murray is a future Hall of Famer, he has 46 total. And, and that's a lot, by the way. A lot of great players don't even touch 30, 20 titles. Uh, Rafa with 46 and four events. Um, so, you know, he, he's been able to, to beat the best players. He comes in as, as the greatest on clay, still the greatest on clay. I loved his kind of low key confidence statement when asked about, you know, the next generation taking over. And he was like, talk to me in, in three or four weeks and, uh, and we'll see about that. Three out of five on clay. It, it starts and ends with Rafa. And to me, he's, he's the heavy favorite. I know I asked the question, but I've been watching you on, on TC and I know you're very steady in your Nadal confidence and, and he proves you're right, at least in Rome. And let's see if he can, he can do the same. Has anyone though, I mean, you're surrounded by the, the royalty of, of tennis analysts, your, your Chanda Rubens, your Paul Anacones, your Jim Couriers. And I, I know I'm going to, I can't name everyone. Lindsay Davenport. Lindsay, yes. <laughs> Has that, has anyone, um, is anyone saying, I don't know, I don't know about this year. He doesn't look quite right. No, nobody is saying that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, and I mean, even after he doesn't win Monte Carlo or he doesn't win Madrid, I have learned because I used to be that guy to be like, uh Oh, I wonder, <laughs> you know, I wonder if he's going to be okay. And of course he's going to be okay. Cause three out of five is a totally different situation. And he just, he knows what happened in Monte Carlo happened. What happened in Barcelona happened. What happened in Madrid happened. We are here. We are in Rome. We, we are here. We are in Paris. It, it's just a different ball game. And uh, until somebody proves different, he's, he's the guy. I mean, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that are going to try uh, <clears throat> and, and push him, but, and, and there's a lot of talented players out there. And, you know, Stefano Tsitsipas, who, won Monte Carlo and, and got his first 1000 um, and made the semifinals last year. I think, you know, he's going to do really well. And Alexander Zverev who won Madrid again and uh, you know, was able to, to beat team to beat Rafa. Um, but once again, three out of five on clay on Philippe Chatrier and until it's been done twice. So it's not impossible, but uh, until it happens again, I, I don't, fully believe in it yeah who who among those that group of challengers it's interesting so uh Tsitsipas has definitely clicked in a way and, and he was always dangerous but now he's really beginning to deliver in the pressure moments with a lot more frequency and I, I really think that clay suits his game he returns much better on the surface and uh Zverev it, clay is probably his best surface Djokovic is is Djokovic um and he showed that in Rome and then Dominic Team. He's far off at the moment, but in two weeks when he gets to play some lower ranked players and get a day of rest in between, 
he could be a different player, uh, but by the time he's he's through to the fourth round, right? So who among those guys would you say is the most dangerous to Nadal? Obviously, there's the textbook answer, but let's see if you if you go bold. Well, no. So I, I read your power rankings, and I, I pretty much on the top half agree with your power rankings. I mean, people, I, I I saw people say, oh, you can't put Dominic Team that low. He hasn't, in my opinion, garnered the benefit of the doubt that Rafa garners, right? So heading into Roland Garros, even if Rafa hasn't won any of the lead-ups, he is still Nadal in Paris. Yes, Dominic Team has made two finals there, but he hasn't won there. So to me, he doesn't garner that. We're just going to rank him above Sitsipas, who, by the way, won again today in Lyon, mm-hmm. has the most wins on the season, leads the race to Turin. Um, or Zverev, who has, you know, made a couple of quarterfinals there, has won one of the lead-up events. Um, so for me, he's right up there. Like, he's in the top five uh, and, and will have a, a great opportunity. But it depends a lot, Gil, on what happens in the draw because Rafa is going to be the three seed. And Daniil Medvedev, <laughs> I mean, prove me wrong, Daniil. I love <laughs> Daniil Medvedev. I would, I would love for him to do well at Roland Garros. I don't predict it. Um, so you could have Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, by the way, and I'm not discounting Roger at all. Like, this is a guy who a couple of years ago made the semifinals there. Um, so it, it, it comes down to the draw for me in a big way, I mean, is, is, are Rafa and Novak going to have to play each other in the semifinals? And then who, who, on, who is on that other side that, that doesn't have to go through that, you know, brutal final four match before, before they get to the, to the championship? Yeah, th- there's a risk here that the draw is like really unbalanced and, and hopefully that doesn't happen, at least on the men's side. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a good point. That could very well happen as you... Uh, you alluded to the world number two, who, who will be the number two seed. To me, I mean, let's, let's hit on him. He's not fully uh, in it mentally. He's complaining about the surface during the match that he's playing, which is, uh, I haven't seen much. But I want to throw this out here. What do you think of this? He, he has a troll-like persona. And I mean that in you know, kind of an endearing way, to be honest with you. I think he's very funny. I think he's a big personality. And I think that he could prove some people wrong because if he just focuses and quite frankly, competes and puts his head to the grindstone, he's had some big wins on clay. He was in a semifinal in Monte Carlo, a final in Barcelona. Like we could turn around Roland Garros and, and Medvedev actually decides that he wants to win some matches. And I think that he can do it. That, that's the key right there, Gil, decides that he wants to win some matches because as you know, tennis is all mental, 90% mental. And so the game is absolutely there. Uh, I love the personality. I love the game. I, I don't understand why he's become so frustrated on the surface of late when you mentioned that success. I mean, the final in Barcelona wasn't that long ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why not. I mean, the, the serve is still there. The movement should be there. He should be able to get to, you know, he should be like a Zverev on this surface to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Zverev is very successful on clay. So does he, does he believe in himself and does he want to grind? And this is a guy who 
at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago. That's what he was. Like, he, he wanted to grind. He wanted to fight till, till the very end. So give me that Medvedev mindset. And yeah, he can, he can prove a lot of folks wrong. 100%. Um, I, I think Zverev's a good comparison. And it's all about digging in for him because he's so consistent and, and so fit when he, when he has that, that willingness to, to suffer a little bit. What about Osaka, who's kind of in a similar situation, having won back-to-back majors, yet comes on the surface and she's one and two clay court season lost second round Madrid first round Rome what do you attribute that to that's a great question I mean never been past the third round at Roland Garros or Wimbledon for that matter you know and and has four major titles outside of that so um once again I think it is that belief do you want to suffer I think that that was a great point Gil I mean this this is a surface where You've, you've got to, you know, embrace the suffering and, and want to be out there for as long as possible uh, and, and grind it out. And, and once again, I, I think her game um, can suit any surface. I don't think her serve is as effective on clay. So I think she gets more free points on the hard courts um, as being one of the best surfer, servers on the WTA. Uh, it's not as effective on the red clay. So you know, maybe that's the one weapon uh, that, that she's missing here, but it's wide open. I mean, we've had four winners on the men's side at Roland Garros since 2005. We've had 12 on the women's side dating back that far. And in the last five years, it's been five different players and, you know, players that you would have never thought. I mean, nobody would have picked Iga Sviantek last year. And, you know, a few years back, I don't know who would have picked Yelena Ostapenko. So, um, I think Osaka, if she believes in herself and has some confidence, which she hasn't said that yet, um, but I hope these few weeks of training can, can prove that she can certainly, you know, win this title. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, it puzzles me a little bit more in terms of her clay court struggles than a Medvedev. I think it's pretty clear what's going on there. Uh, but in terms of the women and it being wide open, would you say that Ash Barty is as big a favorite as there's been in a little while? Uh, no. There is, there is Sviatek. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. So how, how would your tiers go? Is it Barty and Sviatek and then kind of everyone else? Yeah. Under that. Right, Muguruza, right now, that, that's Muguruza also is probably pretty threatening. Yes, but she's a little, little dinged up right now. Yeah. So three weeks ago, I would have put Muguruza right up there and been like, yeah, she's kind of my favorite. She's been playing so well all year, so many wins, but starting in Charleston where, um, you know, she retired from that match against Julia Putin-Seva when she was like crushed her in the first set. And I think it was two all in the second, but um, ever since then, she just hasn't been right physically. So if she's healthy, absolutely. But I, I don't know that she is. Mm-hmm. Um and then, so you've, you've got Fardy, who's, and, and Sviantek, who to me, I, I say they're co-defending champions because Fardy wasn't, you know, there a year ago. You've got Serena, who to me, once again, like Rafa, earns every benefit of every doubt, right? You win 23 majors, you win three Roland Garros titles, you're the GOAT. Like, I'm just, I, I give you a, a free pass to say, yeah, you can absolutely win. If Serena won, it wouldn't shock me because she's Serena Williams and she can do anything. So 
Um, you have her, and then you have a variety of players who have done well, won their first titles this year. I think somebody like Veronica Kudermatova could surprise a lot of folks this year. Um, I, I was taking a look at the quarterfinals and semifinals from last year, and I'm like, how many of these players are going to get back? I mean, I don't see Nadia Podoroska getting back to that level. Uh, Martina Trevisan getting back to the quarterfinals this year. I don't know that I see Sophia Kennan getting you know, that far this year. She's dealing with a lot of stuff off the court um, that has been rough. For me, there's a player like Bianca Andreescu, who, you know, other, <laughs> other than the U.S. Open, hasn't been past the second round in any other major. But when she's healthy, I think she just wins. So I think she can win on this surface. I think she can win on any surface. If she is healthy, which we'll find out this week in Strasbourg, how, you know, how she does, is she, is she able to, to play well? If she's healthy, she doesn't lose really. So, um, so, so I put her up there. Um, but there's so many options on the women's side. Somebody like Coco Goff, who's coming off of the, the double in Parma. So she won singles and doubles there. Youngest player to do that since Sharapova, you know, back in, I think, 2004. Um, now at 25 in the world, a Roland Garros junior champion. She's going to be seated. I was watching her on Instagram Live after she won Parma. And somebody typed in, you know, you're, you're going to be seated in Paris. She was like, really? Are you sure? Like, she had no idea. <laughs> like, that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Um, I love when that happens. Right? I mean, she, she's awesome as, just as a human, as a player. Um, I truly believe in her. And, you know, now that she's kind of got the, the clay legs under her and, and she believes in herself on the surface, um, there's really no stopping her. Uh, I think she's won like 20 of her last 26 matches. So comes in with a lot of confidence. That's somebody um, that I like there as well. Plus she's playing for an Olympic spot. She's right behind Madison Keys for that fourth and final, you know, single spot for the U S and Maddie's ranked 24 and she's ranked 25. Um, so that that's some extra motivation to, to get there. So we'll see. I mean, but, but I, I don't put, I, I think <laughs> Barty has proven a lot of folks wrong this year. So yeah, she, she's a co-favorite to me, but I don't put her on the Rafa level of favorite. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a great, that was a great rundown of, of the women's field. I, I have very little ad because that was, that was perfect. Um, I, I want to move to just the, the mechanics of the French this year. It was, um, it was about 1,000 fans, Chatrier last year. And now, unfortunately, a year later, you have just clearly uh, COVID still looming large and, and be, being a problem uh, because the tournament was postponed a week. Uh, and that was an effort to try to wait out government restrictions and allow more fans inside. Uh, what's the latest um, that, that you're hearing on what the expectation is for um, fans at, at RG? Well, for right now, I know that the players specifically are once again in a bubble. So they can only, you know, be at their hotel and, and be on site. Uh, so that is just like last year. It depends really on the government what happens. There's still a curfew right now mm -hmm. in Paris. Um, and we've got night matches for the first 10 days of the event for the first time. So I'm not unless sure how that Unless there's a curfew. Well, no, they can play. They just wouldn't have fans. Okay. So, so just like, you know, any event that is played, you know, without fans, the event gets some sort of a stipulation that 
you know, it can go on, but without fans. Sure. So I, I don't know how that's going to work though. I mean, it's, certainly they could have the night session for television and it's prime time. And that's when they play the, you know, uh, all, all the soccer games or that's kind of their start time is 9 PM uh, in, in France. So I think it's 5,000 um, for the first week. And then it can get to like 75%, you know, starting quarterfinals and on, uh, or maybe it's June 7th or June 9th. I'm not exactly sure what the date is, um, but that's when some of the restrictions lessen. So that, that's what I know as of now. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there anyone in France who, who you talk to? I don't really have anyone to, to give me the, the lowdown, but in terms of um, the reason I ask is because it, it feels like in the States, we're fortunate enough to be, to be going the right direction pretty quickly at the moment. Uh, when it comes to vaccination. So I am, I am curious um, if you know anything about their trajectory in, in France. Not, not that, that I'm an expert on that I could speak about. I could say okay. like, I've seen a lot of players on their Instagrams that are already in Paris and they don't seem crazy restricted. Um, but, you know, I could tell you more, you know, once I get there. Sure, obviously. sure. Uh, well, we know, know, we know that- what Elise Cornet would say. <laughs> <laughs> yes so she would she would be very honest <laughs> and then she would say between you and me <laughs> i'll i'll edit that in i'll edit that in <laughs> um but we'll see i mean i'm excited to find out i know that because i'm fully vaccinated uh, i will not have to test once i get there so i have to take a test 72 hours before i land have a negative test 72 hours before i land but last year I was tested when I landed and then every week thereafter. Um, but if you're fully vaccinated and have that negative test when you arrive, you no longer have to test when you're there. Um, so that that's different than last year. Um, I believe there's a seven day isolation period for us when we get there, um, meaning we just go from our hotel to the site. But that after that, uh, I believe we can be free mm-hmm. um so but the, but then there's the curfew as well i don't know for me gil I, i'm like working 13 hour days every day there and it's like it's just Fair enough you know, hotel it's site and and I'm, I'm just focused on the tennis but i hope as many people can come a, as possible um because it does obviously add to the atmosphere right steve i'm i'm thrilled about the night sessions because I got to be honest with you. I mean, I, I love the French Open, but that irked me. Uh, I didn't like how matches were stopped and resumed the next day because I think that changes outcomes. I think that affects the winner of the match. And I, I'd much rather these matches be decided, um, you know, in, in one day with the addition of light. So I'm, I'm really happy about this. As someone who's been a part of that tournament, do you share my sentiments? Yeah, I think it's cool. I think nine o'clock is a little late to start a night session. I'm, um, you know, seven o'clock, right? That's when we play our <laughs> night games here. Yes, so yes. to me, you do like the US Open and you have two matches because one match as well, that could end very quick. And if I paid a ton of money to see one match and it lasts for an hour, I don't know if I'm satisfied with that. But yes, overall, I like the idea. I like the concept. I think it can be tweaked um, to be better. So, sure. you know. Maybe if we compromise and say eight o'clock, I don't know. The nine o'clock, just as 
as an American, I don't, I can't really wrap my head around that. Seems way too late to be starting uh, for one match, right? So, um, but having the lights and having the night tennis, I'm a big fan of, of that in general. Okay. Well, work in progress, um, <laughs> but, but we're, we're getting there. Roof as well. But, but also for the U.S., it's better to, for you to watch it here. The later it is there, yes. the better it is here. So yes, that, that's also beneficial. Think about the ratings, Steve. Yeah, that's right. It's great. Let's go. Let's start at 11 p.m. local time. <laughs> no, no sleep for Steve. <laughs> yes, yes. The you know, um, you're one for catchphrases. I want to I want to bring this up. You 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 have a lot of catchphrases, and there are Do a couple I, that right. yeah, there are a couple that have stuck in my head. Okay, there's. Uh, Fabio Fanini once won a tennis match and you said real G's move in silence. And that's a, a Lil Wayne reference. Um, I also, like yeah, real, real, yeah, G's, real move G's, in G's move in silence like Fanini. Yes, yeah. yeah. Cause it would be Fanny real G's move in silence like lasagna. <laughs> right. Lil Wayne's line. And yes. so, yeah. Yeah. And then there's ball. Don't lie for, Correct. for Dusan Lajevic. Uh, but but surely there are some that I just that haven't stuck in my head that or, or maybe that I've missed. So can you give me some of your favorites? <laughs> Jeez, you're putting me on the spot. I mean, th- those are the two that I use most frequently, I think. Oh, OK. Um, there definitely are some others. But I come up with them sometimes when I'm literally calling the match and then. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, I like that. I'll, I'll continue to use that, you know, whenever that person plays again. But I have to think about that because nothing else stands out to me at this moment um, other than those two. But I know there, there are some others. Okay. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll keep my, my ears, um, keep my ears listening. There's no, there's no keep my eyes peeled equivalent right. to, the, to the listening is what I've just noticed. My ears uh, perked, perked up. Perked, perked, <laughs> yes, perfect. Uh, when, two years ago, when, when we had our last normal French Open, uh, I was there because I made the, the short flight. I spent a lot of that summer in London. So I took the short trip to Paris. Um, and if, if you weren't subscribed to my YouTube channel at that point, for those watching, you can look up French Open vlog and you can enjoy my, my day at the French Open. Uh, but for, for us, we went and grabbed a bite. We, got, we ate snails um, <laughs> because, you know, we, we want to experience the, the fullest effect of the, the Parisian food. So, so we had snails together. I want to talk about food at the slams before we wrap up, okay? Okay. Um, I will say that when I was in Paris, I bear, I don't think I had one single bad meal. Uh, but if you were comparing, if you were to compare and contrast the four slams when it comes to food, how would you assess that? Well, full discro- disclosure, I do, I do want everybody to know that so your girlfriend, longtime girlfriend, Jenna, is my cousin. So we, we were linked up because Jenna, Jenna's mom is, my, is one of my cousins, obviously, as well. And so Amy told Jenna that I was there and then it's like oh Jenna's boyfriend loves tennis and that's you and so it's it's this happy actual family 
uh, Paris, New York. I haven't even been to Australia, and I'll put Australia above London, above Wimbledon. Maybe not London, but Wimbledon. Um, so yeah, Paris is the best. Um, we had a lovely meal. There's a restaurant called Lavenue that I would literally eat at every night. Two years ago when I booked my hotel, the main reason I stayed at this place is because it was two blocks from Lavenue and I just wanted to eat there every night. And they have a dish called Six Extraordinary Snails and they're the most, you know, the best snails you'll ever have. Um, so I love the food there. Uh, the, the Hemingway Bar at the Ritz is, is really cool. Um, I mean, French food is, is just the best. I, I love it in Paris and, and the breakfast. I mean, I love the croissants and all the pastries and, you know, my espresso every morning and, and looking out over the balcony. I don't know. I, I just, Paris to me is, is the most charming city of, of, of all the slams. And once again, people say Melbourne's amazing. I would love to go there. I hope, you know, one day I'm, I'm you know, blessed and, and able to do that. Uh, but I haven't been able to go there yet. New York, as you know, food's incredible. Uh, I love dining out in the city. Um, the food on site is great. My guy, Pat LaFrida, his filet sandwich. I rock those mm -hmm. like every night. Um, the, the smoothies that they make in the Players Lounge are so good. Um, the sushi there is good. The lobster rolls. I mean, when I was calling matches there for ESPN back in the day, Mark Woodford and I, uh, the Hall of Fame doubles player, uh, who I'm actually having dinner with tonight, uh, him and his family are, are coming by. Um, we would get lobster rolls for, for every match that we called, uh, sometimes two in a day. So lo love the food in New York. Um, Wimbledon just leaves something to, you know, br British food, they're, they're not known for their food, right? Um, 100%. I'm not a fish and chips guy. Like that's not my jam. So um, and a lot of their cuisine is others' cuisine. So in Wimbledon Village, you know, there's a, a nice Thai place. There's a nice Indian place. Um, they're fine, but, uh, you know, I could get that here. Um, so there, there's just nothing extraordinary about it. Most of it is actually not great. Um, now, for sure, there's like, you know, three Michelin star restaurants in London. But when you're covering Wimbledon, you're not in London. You're staying in Wimbledon Village, mm -hmm. which is a completely different uh, experience and culinary experience. So um, if I were in London, I think I would rate it differently. But yeah, I mean, Paris, New York, for me, so far above all the others. Yeah, for, for sure. You and I are both missing Australia, so we don't have that. But everyone says it's like the greatest coffee city in the world, which like, makes me really want to go uh because i'm i'm obsessed um new york though astoria the, the greek food i think deserves a shout out because that is just an incredible little spot for for greek food and really good asian food in queens as well um yeah literally is great i mean yeah i mean new york is, is such a you know potpourri of, of of cultures and and they do it the best really. Yes. Um, you know, it all, it all started there in terms of, you know, having those really good restaurants, I think New York and, and they've maintained that. So, uh, but all of those chefs, not all, many of those chefs got their training in France and the, the base of their 
you know, culinary expertise is French cooking um, and, 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 a, and a French kitchen. And that's really the basis of, of most um, really high-end cuisine to this day. Yeah, if, if there was one thing that maybe the people at Wimbledon could brag about when it comes to food and drink is that you can have a pint on the sidewalk or the pavement, as they would call it, outside. And there are no rules against that, where if you, if you go to a bar or something um, in the States and, you know, I think it might be the same same way in Paris. Anyway, I you do, I mean, take it outside. True. I appreciate a Pimm's Cup. I do, I I do like a Pimm's Cup. Yes. Um, one thing that really disappointed me, Gil, was you know, growing up, you're watching, you know, Wimbledon and, you know, breakfast at Wimbledon and all that stuff. You see the strawberries and cream. You're like, oh, be careful. The day I get to London, the day I get to Wimbledon, like that's the first thing I'm going to eat is I'm going to order strawberries and cream. So as an American, you think delicious uh, strawberries and then I think sweet whipped cream. Like it's not that. It's kind of sour strawberries and sour milk. It's a little tart. Yeah, it's just, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> it really bummed me out because strawberries and cream was, you know, going to be like the highlight of my Wimbledon experience. And it turned out to be uh, one of the bigger disappointments. Hmm. Like I would take I, the strawberries without that milk. Really? I, I like yeah. the, I, I like the tart little kind of buttery aspect that the that the cream gives but uh, okay i want to um you cook yourself as well and that's kind of why i wanted to talk about food i know i I know you're a foodie and and you cook as well what would your signature dish be at the weissman grand slam um so i mean it's tough to pick one but um i I actually did a, a cooking demonstration for city taste of tennis during the pandemic Um, and so I would start out, uh, with my seared scallops with a blackberry habanero sauce. So it's a sweet with heat sauce that I, uh, reduce and, um, boil down and add some agave and a little bit of salt, but basically it's just blackberries and a couple, depending on how hot you want it is when you take the habaneros out of the sauce. Because even if they're in there for a little bit, like you're, you're getting that kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then scallops is, is pretty simple to, you know, you just pan sear them, a little extra virgin olive oil in, in, in the pan and, you know, minute 30 on each side, get them nice and brown. You, you want to salt and pepper them. Um, so I'd plate that. That would be one of the appetizers. Um, then, I mean, I made my chicken marsala for City Taste of Tennis, and that's one of my new signature dishes that is just so delicious. And I didn't know how good it was until I made it. And I add some um, prosciutto in there. So it gives it that, that little saltiness with the mushrooms and the marsala wine. There's just, I mean, I, I never really had it before, but it's, uh, it's amazing when you reduce that with some chicken stock and obviously, um, you know, the, the breaded, chicken um mm-hmm. breast that you, you pound down and um so so i'd probably put the the chicken marsala in there i'm you know i'm a big steak guy as well um i love making filet so we may have to have uh two meats on, on <laughs> in, in, 
in, in the dish there. Um, and that, you know, once again, these things are, you just want to get really good product and then cook yeah. them very simply. I mean, it's just salt and pepper uh, for the most part. Um, and let, you know, whatever that protein is um, shine on its own. And I would probably make my pecan pie uh, for dessert. Um, and then I would, I would probably make uh, my chocolate martini to add to the, uh, to the pecan pie in the dessert realm. Um, I also make a really nice um, bourbon maple uh, lemon cocktail um, that I would serve earlier on in the, uh, in the meal. So yeah, I think, I think that stuff would, uh, would get in there. I mean, I, I make these really, in my opinion, really good um, ribs, like barbecue ribs. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know that it goes with any of that stuff that kind of is on its own, like a rib day, you just, you know, put them in the oven for three and a half hours. And um, yeah. just, oh, the whole the whole house just smells so good. So <laughs> if you didn't know before, you want to be good friends with Steve Weissman and try to get him to cook for you. Um, and that's what, that's what we've learned here on Monday match analysis, as well as, uh, just a fantastic discussion, French open storylines. And those of us who, who watch tennis channel, um, it's a pleasure to hear you on there. You do such a fantastic job. And again, thanks so much for coming on and hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, hope to see you out in LA sometime very soon. And, uh, Congratulations, by the way. Gil just graduated literally today. Uh, so congratulations. It's amazing. Uh, another in the long line of, of Syracuse broadcast future legends. So uh, congratulations <laughs> and, uh, you know, get, give my best to, to Jenna and the family. Too kind. Will do. All right. Thanks again to Steve Weissman. Such a good guy. As good as they come. Uh, content next week, of course, as soon as the draw comes out, I will uh, get cracking on Roland Garros quarter-by-quarter quarter predictions. That video will be out before Monday. I also have another interview coming up uh, with, or I actually already did it, but I haven't released it yet, uh, with Victoria Chiesa, who is a lines, uh, former lines umpire and just kind of specializes in in issues with umpiring and lines judging. There's a lot of things going on in that space right now. So uh, I talked to Victoria, uh, good good discussion there. That'll come out a little bit uh, later in the week, midweek, uh, in the coming days. Remember, if you are not subscribed to Monday Match Analysis on your favorite podcast platform, please do that. Uh, YouTube, that stands for, uh, for YouTube as well. Make sure you're subscribed. Um, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. 
Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcast. Yes.